0: Will please uh, remain standing with me and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. You know, students, as I was thinking as we were just singing that song, that, that song was written in the 400s. The church has been singing this song for 1,600 years. And, you know, build your life on something as timeless as the truth of the gospel. Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 36, through the end of the chapter, verse 51. Jesus says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to him, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards... The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Please be seated. Would you pray with me as we ask God's blessing on his word priests? Let's pray together again. Lord Jesus crucified and risen and returning. You have all power and authority. You have poured out your spirit on your church. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, open our hearts so that we can believe the truth of the gospel. Maybe some of us for the very first time giving eyes to see Jesus and all his beauty. But for all of us. We need you to help us to believe the gospel again. Let it sink deeply into our hearts. For by its power we would be transformed. And that is what we long for. We long to leave here changed. For God has met with us and done a work of redemption in our lives. So we're praying this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, for the next... Few weeks, we're going to continue our series in the Book of Advent, which we have sort of entitled "Living Between the Advents: Waiting." Advent is a Latin word. If you're new to Christianity, maybe you aren't familiar with kind of the language that we use around here. Latin is a is a la, or Advent is a Latin word that simply means coming. And for churches, oftentimes it's been a series, a season uh, of anticipation of waiting with anticipation because that's sort of where God often has us but but this has been a season of waiting for two reasons right I mean the first advent the first coming of Jesus was a series a season of waiting Mary had to wait from the day that it was announced by Gabriel that she would be uh, that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit the Messiah she had to wait when baby Jesus was presented at the temple he was met by Simeon, who had been waiting for years, entire life, for the Messiah to come. Israel, at the moment when Jesus was born, had been waiting 400 years from the last promise until the day when God had fulfilled that promise. God, as we saw last week, is not slow to fulfill His promises. He's just patient, and a big part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to wait Waiting is part of God's kingdom. God's people wait on Him. They wait on Him and our strength is renewed. Isaiah 40, 31, it's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of our God. Part of waiting is the acknowledgement, God, you've got to work. You've got to be the one who does something. I don't have the power to fix my life, to mend my heart, to deliver myself from sin, to atone For all that I've done wrong, I've got to wait. You've got to be the one who does this. And so the psalmist tells us, be still before the Lord and wait patiently on Him. And that's what it means. Waiting is just what it means to live by faith. It's part of trusting God to come and and work as He sees fit because God will deliver. He's sovereign. He's God. He doesn't come on our command not a genie in a bottle he's a sovereign god he is god he comes when he sees fit in his timing he will deliver when his timing is good not when we demand it so we wait on him knowing that god will provide what is best at just just the right time he's like a father who doesn't give cake to his children before dinner because he knows that it will spoil. They have to wait for, for him to give good gifts at just the right time. The child that waits will receive always receive good gifts from the Father. So Advent is a season of waiting. But it's a season of waiting for Jesus to return. This is why we're in Matthew 24 and 25. It's why we are in 2 Peter, Peter chapter 3 last week that Advent reminds us that we are waiting for a world to come. We're waiting for, for Jesus to return. There are two advents, two comings of Jesus. one in a bay, in the form of a flesh, a little baby. He didn't remain a baby. He grew to be a man who bore our sins, died the death we deserve to die. And now because of his obedience has ceased his season of humiliation. As we read from the Shorter Catechism has entered a season of exaltation. Seated at the right hand of God and coming again. And so we wait for the new heavens and new earth. And these really are the first coming of Jesus and second coming of Jesus. I think we need to see them really as one event. The same person, born as a baby, is returning as a king to just one event. These are one event separated by time. And one of the reasons it's helpful to see it that way is to see just as he was born, he's coming. That was a reality. He's coming again. And we don't just wait uh, with hopeful, wishful thinking. That future is guaranteed. It's one event separated by time. Jesus has come and He will come. The old is gone, the new has come. We wait for a new creation. Sometimes I think analogy is helpful here, seeing how these two go together. Sort of like a marriage ceremony, right? In a marriage ceremony, the couple will stand up here and they'll recite their vows and and they will be married. That's happened. But there will be a day, that, a day, but hours later, when that marriage, when the vows made and they become one flesh, is consummated in the marriage bed. In the intermittent time, there's a waiting period. A time of celebration and joy, but also anticipation. One event separated by time the Christian life, therefore, is like that. It looks backwards. This is what God did for me in the incarnation when Jesus took on, when the Son of God took on my flesh so he could live the life I needed to live but I haven't, die the death that I needed to die but didn't have to because he was crucified for my sins. And he's coming again to bring my reward in the new heavens and new earth and in the intermediating time I'm waiting by faith knowing that this is just one event separated by time and so as we look forward to the second coming of Jesus waiting we're looking at these three parables in Matthew 24 and 25 waiting parables Jesus is two nights before his crucifixion he's Laying out for his disciples a number of last minute teachings. And in this parable and the next two, he's reminding them that wait actively for I'm coming again, and this is what it will be like when I return. And so, in this parable in Matthew 24, he really reminds us this one point that the day of judgment of Jesus is coming an unavoidable fact and it will be sudden and a time of rewarding and therefore persist in doing good as you wait. It's coming, Jesus is coming, when he returns it will be sudden, when he returns it will be followed by a time of rewarding, so as you wait, persist in doing good. And this is the future hope of the whole world, that Jesus would return and put everything right again. All brokenness, all sin, all tears, all death will be done away with once and for all. And then the new heavens and new earth will come. And so there's something remarkable that Jesus tells us about that day and it speaks to His first coming, listen to what he says in verse 36, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. It gives us a sense of just how deep God the Son went when he took on our human flesh to become our Redeemer. He took on our limitations. Though he was fully God, he became fully man. He took on our flesh, and that involved all the limitations that it involves to be an actual human being. He self limited himself, the self sufficient God, when he took on our humanity, knew what it was like to be dependent and weak. For God, who made the heavens and earth, and spoke it all into existence by the mere power of his voice out of nothing, had to supple at his mother's breast. He knew what it was like to be weak. He he knew what it was like to go hungry, the self-sufficient God who needs nothing, knew what it was like to limit himself, the omnipresent God took on our flesh and learned to walk. Crawled and then learned to walk. And the God who was everywhere at all times limited himself so he had to walk in his humility. The all-knowing God in his humanity limited his knowledge. And in this Jesus says, I don't know the day or the hour all of this to become a real human being so that he could bear the sins in his body for real human beings like you and i who had broken god's law he is like us in every way yet without sin so that he could die the death we deserve to die so that we could become like him adopted sons into the father's household all united to his humanity he become a real human being but look where Jesus then takes this and if and if you've got your Bibles open now turn to the next chapter in verse 31 the one who says like in my humanity this is how deep I went in verse 31 of 25 says though when the Son of man comes in his glory with all his angels, then he will sit on his glorious throne and as he sits on the throne he doesn't again doesn't remain this weak limited human being when he returns because of his obedience the incarnate son of god will sit the son of man will sit on his throne and judge the living and the dead the same one he's come He's coming. And because of his obedience, this is what we're told in John chapter 5. He has been given authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. In his obedience, God has rewarded him. And the next thing that he tells us is is that when he returns, right, as the reigning king... It will be sudden. This is an inevitability. And it will be catastrophic when Jesus returns. And so we've got to persevere in doing good. The day of Christ's judgment will be a terrible and terrifying event. It will be catastrophic and unmistakable. He's not going to sneak in. Unexpected. He's going to loud announcement come Unexpected. Look back now at verse 29 of chapter 24. It's not printed in your worship guide. You'll have to flip back in your Bibles. It'll be catastrophic. Verse 29 of 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened... And the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then there will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Every person will mourn. They'll see him in his glory. They realize I've got to give an account to this one. And this, by the way, this... This picture of creation kind of being rent asunder, the sun dark and the moon not giving its light, stars falling from heaven all signs in the Old Testament of God coming in judgment. And you'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This isn't the Macy's Day parade coming down. This is a king who is righteous, bringing judgment. It'll be catastrophic. He's not going to sneak in. He's coming as a returning king to conquer, defeat his enemies and establish the fullness of his kingdom. And it'll be sudden... Jesus tells us that he will delay, right? We'll get into this a little bit more next week, but in these parables, there is an expectation of a period of time between the time when he ascends to heaven and when he comes back, returning. There will be a delay, and so you've got to be ready. And we saw last week from Second Peter 3, the delay is not God being slow, it's God being patient. He's holding it back so that all his elect would come to faith and repentance. So that all the people that belong to Jesus will be saved. holding it back. But when he unleashes it, it will be sudden and unexpected. And so we must be ready because no one knows the time and the hour. And so Jesus kind of... Strings together a few illustrations here to make the same point to us. It's important. No one will know. He will return suddenly. It will be like when the flood judgment happened and, and people were just kind of going about their daily lives, and Noah was building the ark in order to find a place of refuge from God's judgment. And just unexpectedly, the, the flood came, not without warning, but suddenly. It'll be people just going about their daily lives. It'll be like a thief breaking into your house. You don't know when it's coming. In the middle of the night, you don't know when to expect it. He doesn't forecast his break-in. He doesn't send you a text message. By the way, I'm coming at 2.42 a.m. to break into your house. It comes unexpected. It'll be so unexpected that people will be just going about their daily lives, going to work, doing their jobs in the field, milling grain, and suddenly the catastrophic event of the judgment day of the resurrected, ascended, and reigning king will come. So you've got to be ready. Therefore, you must be ready, verse 44, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, if you're not a Christian, don't postpone coming to Jesus. Don't think, you know, I want to go through this season of my life where I get to do what I want, and then I'll I'll just put it off and I'll come to Jesus later. The way you get ready for the day of, of judgment is to be found in Jesus when he returns so that you find that the judge when he returns has already forgiven your sins when you give yourself to Jesus the what happens is the judgment day breaks into the presence his death on the cross becomes your judgment day So that as our assurance of pardon reminded us, if you are in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, which gives us confidence when He comes. I know what will happen on that day if I'm found in Jesus. If I've given my life to Him, I know for certain what will happen that day. Because He died the death I deserve to die. He went to my hell. He's clothed me with His righteousness. now little children john says in 1 john 1 now little children abide in him like hide yourself in jesus so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away in shame be the revealing look jesus said look this is who my people really are 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, by this love is perfected. It reaches its intended end. It's complete. By this love is perfected in us so that we can have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is now, so also are we in the world. It's just gonna be a revealing. Look, look who my people are. Look what I've done for them. Are you ready? Be ready now. Don't put it Off, find yourself in Jesus it will also be a time of rewarding so persist in doing good it will be catastrophic it will be sudden so be ready as you wait know that on that day Jesus will reward his people for the good we've done This is what Douglas Moo, one of the great commentators on Matthew, says this. He says, Christians need the motivation of a forward look. We need this. We need to be reminded, like, these are our efforts are actually worth something. They need to be recognized that God has a plan, that it unfolds in the way he wants, and that it culminates with blessings for his people, And so, in verses forty-five through fifty-one, Jesus tells a short parable. He finds two different servants who have been entrusting with households to run. The master's gone away. He says to his slaves—it's the word for servants, really—slave, bond servants. Here, I'm trusting you to take care of things. One of the servants is faithful and tends his household well, and he receives blessings. He's rewarded. Jesus sets over him all of his possessions because he trusts him. The other servant's wicked, and he takes advantage of the master and treats the people of his household poorly. And he's judged by being cut into pieces and thrown into hell. In fact, this is a theme that Jesus dedicates an entire parable to that we'll see in two weeks at the end of chapter 25. Judgment, when he returns, will be a time of rewarding and judgment based on how we live our lives. Apostle Paul says a very similar thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for he reminds us we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil a day of accounting followed by a day of rewarding and punishment so how does that work right that sounds like if you're listening closely like how does that reconcile with what you said earlier That we are no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. We're already clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We're accounted by God the Son. Now you're telling us that the judgment day will be a time of rewarding and punishment. How How does that not salvation by works? It makes a sound, you're making it sound like the cross is insufficient. It's not enough. Right? And if union with Christ teaches us that all that belongs to Jesus is ours... That what's true about Jesus is also true about us. That he earned by his obedience, his death, his resurrection, all the rewards. Then how can you teach us, how can he also teach us that the day of judgment will be a time of rewarding? Well, children, maybe you can think of it this way Disney World is a wonderful place if you're a child, if you're a parent, not so much fun. Disney World is a wonderful place Of joy and laughter And everything's enjoyable They make it perfect They even hide their trash You'll never see someone take the trash out at Disney They always drop it down and cover- Because it's just it's, it's the perfect place But Disney World's really expensive And some of you children May never get to go Because how, of how expensive it is But imagine someone comes to your family and says, Look, I'm going to give you an all-expenses-paid trip to Disney World. I'm going to fly you out there on the nicest private jet that I own. And I'm going to put you up in the nicest hotel. And I'm going to tell you, you can eat whatever you want, and I will pay for it. It's all free. And I'm even going to pay all of the tickets for you to get in. You get to ride all the rides. You do whatever you want. It's my gift to you. My expense. I'll pay for it. I'm just giving it to you. But then they tell you, it's all yours. But if if you obey your mom and dad, there's a little something extra. You'll get to eat with the, you'll get to eat with the characters There'll be dinner with Ariel and Mickey Mouse. And you'll get a VIP pass if you treat your brothers and sisters well. There'll be a little extra for you. Someone else is still paying for all of it, even the rewards that he's incentivizing. He's incentivizing a little extra you're faithful in obedience so be persistent in doing good it's not enough simply to give your heart to jesus as a one-time event the heart that's given to jesus will actually begin to delight in doing the master's will because he delights in you i want to serve you and he gives your spirit to you and he says look i'm going to empower your life of obedience it's not merely by your strength the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is going to empower your obedience. And so if there's any faithfulness in us that earns reward at the end, we get to say, it's all by grace. You got me into Disney World. You gave me the strength by your word and spirit to persist in doing good. Now I get rewards on the other side. And so in verse 42, Jesus says this therefore stay awake for you don't know on what day the Lord is coming Be just be ready and he's just reminding us that this, this time between the advents is a time of waiting with hope and persisting and doing good stay awake don't, don't. Don't take a nap in this. Lastly, short promise. Lastly, he's a good master who rewards, recognizes, and rewards his servants based on how we treat other people. Again, this shows up a number of times in these parables. It's not the stuff that Jesus says he cares about. It's like, it's not, you didn't take care of my house. You didn't, you know, it's not the stuff. You didn't grow my money. It's, you know, it's the people. The faithful steward gives his people food in their proper time. And it's like, you know, you better, you bought better furniture for my house, so I'm going to reward you. No. You took care of the people that I care about. It gives good food at the proper time, which is this really insightful intrusion. Because the it means if you give it at the proper time, you begin to pay attention to what their needs are. What they need at just the right time, I've, I begin to become a student of other people in my life. Because people are important to Jesus. And so at just the right time, I give them what they need because I've learned to care about them. But the wicked servant, likewise, is not wicked because of the way he treats the stuff, but the way he treats his people. The wicked servant beats his fellow slaves and then takes the master's food and just consumes it on his own pleasure. king cares about how we treat each other so much so that he will reward us. The way we treat people will be the primary thing for which he will hold us accountable. He has not given us stuff, money, energy, homes, cars, whatever. So that we could steward them for our own delight. So that we might find our delight in stewarding them for others' benefit. Your labors are never in vain. Your spouse may not notice the things you've done for them. Your children may never thank you. But the king of all glory is watching and in due time will reward. So, be found as a faithful and wise servant when he comes. Let's pray. Lord, if it were not for your grace, the day of judgment would be a day of utter misery and fear. So, I pray that again, maybe some of us would give ourselves to you today so there would be no shame or fear on the day of judgment. Father, I pray also that you help us not to live for the present, but to live for the day to come. Enlarge our hearts in love for each other. I beg you, enlarge my heart to take up the form of a servant so that others may prosper. God, that is so contrary to what is in my heart. Please help us. Help us, we pray. Help us to receive that day with joy and anticipation for what awaits us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.